the point of um, heart attack. I'm very, very close because you rang up to remind me about the talk and I said, what talk? Uh, I don't even know what you're so, talking about. So, uh, so we had the wrong days, we'd all, but it's all been sorted out and, and we have a professional with us here today. So. Yes. <laughs> so. I've been told actually you can tell I'm from Sydney because people from Sydney wear interesting glasses and people from Woi Woi wear interesting thongs. Is that, you know? I think that's, that's about a, that's right. That's what I was told. Yep. Also, the blaze is a bit of a giveaway. So. <laughs> now, you are... You've Describe yourself to me as a writer. That's right. That's right. Tell I'm me, what do you do as a writer? Okay, yeah, it's um, the tax department will accept that as a as a job description. It took a little while for them to understand it, but basically, what I do is is write. Uh, but I write a lot of different things. So I spend a lot of my time writing scripts for television and film and things like that. Um, I write books and I write articles, particularly reviews for uh, magazines of film and television. So, yeah. Now, you did mention to me that you've worked for every acronym. Yes. Uh, I don't really know what that means. But <laughs> yeah, I, I w I've worked for uh, the BBC, the ABC, SVS, PBS in the United States, uh, a bunch of other acronyms overseas, 7, 9 and 10 here. So, yeah, if, you can, if there's a letter combination, I've pretty much worked for it. So, so, so you know what you're doing. So it's oh, <laughs> yeah. I kind of hope so. Or you just move on as soon as they find out that you don't. That's right. You <laughs> go to the next acronym. <laughs> you go down to Z. Um, <laughs> So what got you started with literature in oh, the first place? Why do you I like... I think, um, look, I'm just... I, I know I'm talking to a bunch of uh, parents and grandparents and you've probably uh, experienced within your life somewhere a child who just talks, you know, talks and talks and tells stories and carries on or just wants to stand in the kitchen and talk. So I'm that child about 45 years on. That's all that's happened. Uh, and so I enjoyed uh, telling stories and, and that translated into writing stories. Um, I wrote my first novel um, in year seven and, and moved on from there. And so just moved into journalism and then into production and then into script writing. And, and that's basically how I got where I am. Yeah, great. Mm. Now, we've been asking people this week their standout moment for 2016. So uh -huh. I thought I'd ask you, what, what's something that stood out for you uh, in um, 2016? Okay, so I work on uh, international documentaries a fair bit. Uh, and they take the writer out sometimes and you're on site and you're working with scripts as you're working with people. Uh, I was in uh, Israel a couple of months back. Time gets a little fuzzy. Um, so I think November. Uh, and uh, while I was there, I went to a site. Now, I've worked in Israel a lot because um, uh, I've worked throughout the Middle East a fair bit. Uh, and uh, I went to a new location they'd only uncovered in the last 12 months. And this was the only first century synagogue, which is basically like a church from the first century. And that means a church that Jesus would have gone to. And specifically, uh, there's some, if you read your Bible, you might know that it says that Jesus preached through all the synagogues in Galilee. And this is the only Galilee synagogue that we've actually found that's from that period. So I could, I, I was standing next to an archaeologist. He said to me, see that spot right there? See that seat? that's where he would have sat. And that was a pretty amazing thing because often we think about history as stuff that happened so far long ago, you know, hardly relevant to us, but to see where someone actually sat uh, and then to read their words and things like that makes you realize that it's, it's real. It's not just something that you've heard a lot about or somebody made up a long time ago. There's the evidence. There it is. So that was great. That was a yeah. standout moment. That is. I haven't ever been to Israel, let alone <laughs> stand where Jesus stood. So. Yeah. Mate, you're going to give us a talk about 
why your kids need Harry Potter. I'm very interested in this. As I said, I've just started reading the series. I'm about a decade behind the eight ball. Okay. Um, but why don't I hand over to you, mate? Only a decade. You can, okay, you can so lead us through. Um, give yeah, me do a you want to grab your stuff? I'll grab and, my yep, stuff. Stuff in a little bit. Now, while, while Mark's doing that, can I just turn your attention to uh, one of the flyers on the table? Um, you'll have a four top talks um, handout. Here at Peninsula, we're going to be running uh, a series in January, starting on Sunday, uh, where we are addressing four of the top talks uh, that the community has said they'd like to hear. The first one, which is next week, is God and Evolution, and you'll actually hear Craig talking a bit about that tomorrow. And there's another, four, another three on there, so check those out. If you're keen to come along and encourage you, come along, invite your friends. Uh, we meet over the other side of the school on Sundays. Uh, but Mark, you want to please make him welcome. And so I understand you have Andrew Heard after me, which makes me feel like a real warm-up act because he's just incredible. Um, I actually consider him to be one of the best thought-out Christian speakers uh, that you could hear today. And I don't mean that just in terms of Sydney or Australia or the local area. I have a pleasure of being involved with a great many different speakers around the world. And Andrew is quite impressive. So now that I've built him up, if he does a really bad job, you can rib him about it. Uh, look... I don't know what you do when somebody says to you, uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, because our lives are kind of multifaceted and sometimes they move through different stages. We might be in the stage where it's pretty straightforward. I work at the you know, department store here or something like that or I, you know, I'm a chippy or something like that. Or, but then maybe we've retired and so what do I do? Well, um, I guess I'm... How we describe what we do is often like a reflection of ourselves. We're talking about who we are. Uh, standing in a school reminded me this morning of an occasion when I was invited to come to my child's class. Uh, I have three young boys. Has anyone ever been invited, you know, as a dad to go to the classroom and stand there and be part of the meet the dad day? You don't, obviously, terribly shy people. No one's waving their hand or anything. That's okay. I'll just, you know, keep on going up here on my own. But look, uh, oh good, there's one. So um, I went to my son's Meet Dad Day uh, and I was standing up the front with about two or three other sort of fairly nervous fathers. I don't think we'd stood up the front of the classroom until, you know, 40 years or something earlier. All of us were looking as if we'd, you know, just got in trouble. And there was the teacher uh, and there were all the kids cross-legged in front of us looking up sort of bright, shiny faces. And she was asking everybody, you know, what do you do for a living? Please tell the class what you do for a living. And the first guy got up and he was a plumber. And it was just so simple. He said, I'm a plumber. I help people, you know, put bathrooms in their homes and, and kitchens and things like that. I fix drain pipes when, when there's too much rain and the kids are all nodding and that was great. And the next guy got up and he was the manager of a box factory. Uh, they make boxes. It's nothing easier to explain, is there? The kids would go, he makes boxes. The factory works in boxes, square things. That's straightforward. Very, very easy. Now, I'm a reviewer. I don't know how I'm going to explain this to first-class kids. Um, and so I'm standing there thinking, how, what am I going to say, what am I going to say? And the teacher says, uh, class, would you please welcome Mr. Hadley? And so I stand in front of that chorus of good morning, Mr. Hadley, in the elongated way that kids speak. Uh, and uh, I stood up the front and the teacher said, Mr. Hadley, would you please tell the class what you do? Uh, and so I paused and I said, kids, I'm Elijah's dad and I watch TV for a living. Now... Apparently, this is now the most favourite job possible at my school, uh, which is 
not something that the teachers are terribly pleased about. And I can understand why, because there's so much that goes on in terms of reviewing. You know, I, I watch TV and film and things like that. It's part of what I do for my living. It seemed to be the easiest way to explain it. But there's so much that passes for reviewing these days that it's just pure drivel. You know, it's really, you, you, open, you listen to somebody talk on the radio, or you watch them on television, you read their article, and really it's just an opinion. You'd be forgiven for thinking, I could do that. Anyone could do that, and they do. You know, people stand up and they just talk about what they liked and what they didn't like, the actors that they liked and they didn't like, the directors that they liked and they didn't like, and it's really just all opinion. Uh, and most reviewers fawn or froth about what, how, what's fantastic, and honestly, I think it's just because they've got a good sounding voice sometimes that they actually seem to make an income out of these things. Um, personally, I try and change my reviews a little bit. Um, my style of reviewing, because I'm a script writer, I'm not really terribly interested in directors or actors, so when I write an article, I'm really asking what is this story about? Or what did the writer think he was telling us about the world? Or what's the sort of world he'd like us to live in? You know, and so that's the sort of thing I write about when I write my articles. But most articles are just flat-out opinion. Uh, and that's a dangerous thing to do. Uh, in reviewing, the most dangerous area in which you can express an opinion is fantasy. You might not believe that, but let me tell you the absolute truth. The only time I have ever received a death threat over one of my articles was when I said something bad about Doctor Who. Now, it's just, you do not cross the Whovians. Okay, they are a very scary sect. Um, now, personally, I'm a big fan of Doctor Who, and I don't expect anybody to sort of admit that here, you know, because I've gone through, oh, okay, there we go, so there's you and me, sister, and, and everybody else is wondering what it's all about. But Doctor Who returned after a long hiatus in 2005, and I gave the series return a bit of a thumbs down. And the reason why is I said, look, you know, Doctor Who's taken on a real violent character. He, instead of just thinking his way out of problems now, uh, he, he's punching his way out of them. And then the initial series I thought was a bit down. I still liked it. I said it was great, you know, it's great fun. Doctor Who could be good. But I gave this a bit of a, fun, a thumbs down. I turned up to work a few days later and there was a package sitting on my desk. Uh, it was clearly labelled for my attention only you know, and I thought, that is not what somebody normally writes on a package. Um, and there was no sender address. So I opened the box, just not expecting anything other than uh, just whatever it was, maybe stationary supplies or something like that. Uh, and inside the package was a plastic bowl uh, and a spoon and some long-life milk. And my article shredded into about 10,000 pieces uh, and a note demanding that I eat my words or else from a Doctor Who fan. Uh, you don't mess with the Whovians, and to be honest, you've got to kind of be careful with parents too when you talk about fantasy. Now, if you're like... Um, some, some parents are kind of suspicious of of things they're not quite sure about. I'm a parent, just like you, and it, it, there are so many trends passing through our society. It's, it's murder to try and keep up with all of them about what kids might be watching or reading or, or playing on games, and you're sort of hoping you're doing a good job half the time uh, and trusting to luck, so to speak, as you go through. Uh, and you can sometimes tick a raw nerve in a parent when you write a review about fantasy. 
uh, just like you might tick a raw nerve with the Whovians. I received this once. This is an, uh, it was a response I got from somebody when I wrote an article comparing C.S. Lewis and the Narnia Chronicles with Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling, you know, and the, the positive comparisons that could be placed between the two. Uh, and this is what I received in the letter that followed, just a part of it. How you can compare the satanic content of Harry Potter with the inspiring Narnia Chronicles is beyond belief. In the space of a couple of lines, I've moved from reviewer to Satanist. Uh, it wasn't how I'd normally sort of see myself. Uh, but some parents, and particularly sometimes Christian parents, get really worked up over things like Harry Potter. And I guess you want to ask why. Now, why is this fiction so potentially threatening or scary? And I think it's because people who read the Bible sometimes have fairly troubled consciences when it comes to stories that talk about magic. Okay. Um, now, I can understand that. There are a lot of fantasy books that were regularly consigned to the dustbin in a previous generation uh, in churches because they mentioned magic and things like that. And the reason why is because there was no context for th talking positively about magic or fantasy or things like that. So J.W.R. Tolkien and The Hobbit was the first person to introduce kids to the idea that there could be a wizard who was a good guy. Okay, which is an unusual thing in fiction. Uh, J.K. Rowling described young girls studying to be witches, which, uh, if you'd put that in a sort of a context 20 years earlier, would have been a real worry for some parents. In fact, just not Christian parents, but parents in general. Uh, and Harry's, Harry Potter, for example, spends his days and nights trying to master powers that will protect him from the dark arts. I mean, just read like that, it doesn't sound like great children's literature. When, again, as parents, we're all hoping it's all just good fun and games and we'll be okay. But, you know, if you come from that culture where you've got a certain built-in suspicion for that sort of stuff, well, you, you start to feel nervous. I come from a really conservative background. You might think you know what conservative churches look like. Trust me, you should journey to the, uh, the land of the south coast where I particularly grew up. We call it sort of the, uh, the Bible Belt, um, two hours away from Sydney and 200 years you know, further into the past. Um, I came from a particularly conservative background, so conservative, I have three young boys. Um, I named, my wife and I were talking about names, and I, I helped us settle on Jacob, Elijah, and Noah. I was telling my, uh, a, a friend of mine who, oh, this is going to sound like a name drop, okay, he's the Archbishop of Sydney, but I was just talking to him about this, uh, and he was telling him about the birth of our third son, and um, going through the names of the boys as you do, as you run down the list as a parent, and he put his arm on my, uh, his hand on my shoulder, and he said, brother, you know there is a New Testament, you know, uh, and I guess when I was growing up, we just, we're one of those churches that spent maybe far too much time you know, in the Old Testament. I'm not saying the Old Testament is a bad thing, but you can overemphasize it. Think footloose on steroids. You know, it was just a, a very constrictive culture. Uh, and in that culture, we were very familiar with those parts of the Bible that make people nervous about thinking about magic or fantasy or things that might come up in that. Um, you might... Uh, have heard of verses like Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers, do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. This is tame in comparison to, you know, there are other ones like where Moses instructs the people of God to put witches and sorcerers to death, okay? Um, so uh, 
I, you know, I grew up with this culture which some of you might have picked a, a tad up on. Maybe you're looking around, there's some grey heads like mine, maybe old enough to sort of pick up this sense of nervousness that comes from just even mentioning ideas like magic and sorcery and things like that. I knew a professional magician who's a great friend of mine growing up, um, and he was the Christian chaplain to the International Brotherhood of Magicians. You couldn't get better credentials for being a Christian and working in the entertainment industry. Um, but he was so conscious of the strength of feeling uh, from particular communities about this whole magic thing that he would only ever describe his work as doing tricks, puzzles and illusions, carefully avoiding that word that might sort of set people off. Well. If you're a little worried, and maybe this is the largest introduction on earth, trust me, the rest of the talk will be shorter, um, I have come here this morning to just assure you that there are some very positive things that can come out of this wash of fantasy fiction that your kids might be involved in or might be about to be launched in or might be watching films around. The first thing I want to remind you is, is not to confuse categories. Uh, confusing how the Bible talks about magic with how society and kids' fiction talk about magic is, is really a case of apples and oranges. They might both be round, they might both be fruit, but really that's where the similarity ends. The Bible is actually really worried about people thinking there is a God other than God. That's the primary idea. So if you start trying to draw down power or something from a non-existent God, the, the Bible wants to draw you away from that and suggest that that's a dangerous thing and a silly thing to do. And I'd agree with that. There's no trouble with that. Science fiction and fantasy, they use magic like they use the Death Star or time machines. You know, it's setting to tell a truth or a story. Okay, so uh, fantasy stories are forever asking questions like, if you woke up one morning and you could do X, would that be a good thing to do? Would that be a bad thing to do? If, if you had the power to Y... Would that be a good thing to do? Would that be a bad thing to do? These are all just tools to ask moral questions. I mean, so think about it. If you've read or seen any of the Hunger Games products, uh, they're all about whether or not it's acceptable to kill someone else to save your own life. Sure, it's a fantastic scenery, but really it's a very basic question. Is, it, is your life more important than somebody else's life? Can you, do you have the right to sacrifice somebody else's life for your own? The Harry Potter series has just real basic moral questions at the core of it. It's the same child through various ages coping with death. Every book, Harry Potter at a different age is coping with death. He might be coping with the, the death of dreams. He might be coping with the death of a significant loved one. He might be coping with his own death. You know, or the potential for it. But every time it's just, what are you going to do about death? Um, and when we look at Harry Potter films, uh, the, and latest things like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which has just launched recently, you know, we see that magic doesn't really operate like something mystical at all. It operates like mathematics. You know, kids are there studying really hard, Latin-sounding words, so they can push them into their brain so they can somehow, you know, do the trick. Um, rules have to be learned. Incantations have to be memorized. There's a scientific flavor, really, to all of it, rather than a mystical one. And if we realize that, that allows us to sort of stay open to the sort of things that we might learn. I don't know how you felt about the whole decade of Harry Potter films. Uh, 2001, The Philosopher's Stone, right through to 2011, uh, the Deathly Hallows Part 2, we had to split that one in half. Um, there's 10 years. Do you know that for a whole generation of kids, that was their predominant entertainment? 
I don't know how you feel about it. Um, there was something like $11 billion worth of ticket sales that parents shelled out so their kids could watch those stories. Uh, maybe you're one of those parents who are shelling out you know, at the cinemas. And that's not even mentioning the sort of merchandise that also got sold along the way with you know, books and Lego sets and costumes and novelty wands. And most of us probably enjoyed the ride and were probably pretty happy that it was over when it was over. Do you know? Like the final Harry Potter film would come out and we all breathed a sigh of relief. I have bad news for you. It's about to start again. Okay, you might have noticed the existence of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Uh, apart from Rogue One, it was the highest rating film for kids this year uh, and is likely to keep going and earning on at your local cinemas for months to come. Okay, and it's only the tip of the iceberg. You see, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is the first of a, of a new series that's coming from that Harry Potter universe. Warner Brothers has announced plans for at least four sequels, at least four, over the next 10 years, which basically means that you'll be seeing one every two years and having all of the merchandising in between. And that's not to uh, forget that David Yates is the director of the last four Harry Potter-style films, and J.K. Rowling are talking about spin-off things. It's like the Marvel Universe has arrived with uh, Harry Potter and we're all set for another big ride. So in a sense, you're looking at another generation of kids and grandkids who are going to grow up with Harry Potter as part of the fixture. So it's kind of important. It, it, from one parent to another, to decide how you feel about this and what you're going to do. So you're not coming up to that question every time a child comes up to you, can we see it, can we see it, can we see it? And you're going, I guess so. You want to have something a little more solid than that. So let's talk a bit about how you can be a little more solid. Well, firstly, I want to give you three good reasons for letting fantasy be part of your kids' lives. Now, I'm saying part of... Uh, around everything I say here, because I think there's nothing that replaces good parenting. You're going to be the moderator of, of what your kids are involved in. You should be. I, I'm a professional reviewer, and I struggle at it too, so I hope that's some encouragement. Uh, but you've got to be in the show, so to speak. You've got to be part of the game, or otherwise it'll go on without you. But I want to give you three reasons why fantasy is not going to be a bad thing. Firstly, fantasy isn't escapism. That's always the big claim. It's like, um, oh, you know, they're just disappearing into their own little world and it's got nothing to do with real life and how I wish they'd just go outside and kick a football or mow the lawn or, or actually, I'd just love them to use the backyard. I don't know if there's anybody else here who's paying a huge amount of money for their, for their home and wondering why they're mowing that grass that no one actually ever walks on. No, well, um, if my children would just leave the PlayStation alone, I'd be a lot happier. The, um, but then I did buy it for them, so it's my own fault. Uh, but fantasy isn't escapism, so it's not like um, they're just disappearing into a different world because fantasy fiction regularly provides sort of a captivating context for real-world trials. Think about it. When Harry Potter became a magician, went off to Hogwarts, he didn't leave his problems behind. In fact, they're really there waiting for him. He learned all about bullying uh, and about... Uh, favoritism and about exam anxiety and these are all very normal real-world problems and JK Rowling put some really good real-world solutions in there so firstly you don't actually have to worry about uh, their, your child disappearing into fantasy as if somehow that was just them escaping the world often it's just a different context to learn real-world problems so let me give you um, a, uh, an illustration this is a real illustration an illustrated book 
Um, it's actually my book. This is going to seem very self-serving, but when you're trying to find books to sort of recommend, and you just go, mm, uh, that one, that'll do, and it just happened to be on my shelf and it's mine. I'll go through two more so you don't feel like I'm pushing it too, too much. This is The Word War. Um, this is just a story about kids who start talking one day, have an argument, start using fairly nasty words, and those words turn into weapons, which they start throwing at each other until it builds up a huge barrier between them, and they don't know what to do about that barrier until they discover that there's a really powerful word called sorry. You know, they can actually get rid of barriers between people. Now, that's a fantasy, because trust me, your words don't actually turn into missiles like they do in this book. And yet they can feel that way. You see what I'm saying? It's like a fantasy is just uh, a context for kids to deal with real-world problems. So that's sort of a book that was designed for that. Um, and you can find lots of other things that fantasy can do for you. Here's another one. Secondly, fantasy can help kids rehearse problems they haven't come across yet. So that's, there's fantasy that helps kid deal, kids deal with problems that they've got right now. And then there's fantasy for problems that they haven't actually met yet. Think about The Lord of the Rings. Uh, the Lord of the Rings is full of great moral questions about life and death and, and truth and evil and good and, and what you should be prepared to do. Um, but they're at a scale that most people will not have confronted in their real life. They're rehearsing problems. You know, and kids do that too. So kids can learn from fictional backgrounds how to actually uh, approach problems when they arrive. Uh, J.K. Rowling uh, uses house elves for this. You know, so in, in uh, the Harry Potter books, if you've read any of them, if you haven't, I'll just describe it quickly. Um, there's these creatures called house elves, uh, which are a kind of an oppressed little magical class that are forced to do all the dirty jobs, all the clean-up and all the cooking and all that sort of stuff. And some people treat them really, really badly. Now, what J.K. Rowling has done is simply taken the concept of slavery and stuck it in a fantastic setting so the kids can see that oppressing other people just to make your own life easier is a bad thing. Now, that will make a concept like should you buy sand shoes that are being made by 12-year-olds in the Philippines a recognisable issue. Do you understand? That sometimes fantasy helps them rehearse problems they haven't come across yet and, uh, and discover appropriate solutions to them. So, again, uh, another children's book that I wrote... Um, called Home is about if you lose your home or you find out that your home is no longer your home, maybe in the real world your, fam your family might break up or you, you have to leave your home for some reason, how do you find home again? And what does home look like? Now, and through this book, I actually describe a, a panda's journey to find his home. And when he discovers that home has got nothing to do with a place, but it's got everything to do with people. Uh, and so home is actually where you are loved, not where you live. You know? And so that's just a, a way of using. Of course, there aren't talking pandas out there doing it. But again, we've got a, a fantasy setting to allow us to try and teach kids problems that they're not ready for yet. To rehearse them so that when they come across, you know, fantasy can help that particular way. In fact, fantasy can help you uh, deal with uncomfortable truths that you're not just not ready for, you're hiding from. There's a fantastic, a fantastic story in the Bible about this. I don't know if you've ever heard of a fellow called the prophet Nathan. You can, that Old Testament we were steeped in here, it's coming into handy already. Uh, the, this prophet Nathan was given this awful job by God to go and talk to a fellow called King David, who, had, uh, who was a great king, except for the fact that recently he'd been uh, murdering people so he could sleep with their wives. 
Okay, now, a bit of a character flaw, definitely a problem, and he was hiding from the consequences of it. Uh, and so Nathan is given the job by God to go and talk to the prophet and say, uh, go and talk to the king and say, you're doing the wrong thing, God's going to judge you. Now, it's kind of like, like, like giving the job and saying, listen, your job is to go up to the prime minister wherever he is and tell him God's going to judge you, you know, because of your behavior. Um, I don't care how confident you are. I think the moment you actually set out in your car to do it, you'd feel terribly intimidated about what you're going to try and do. Uh, but So what does Nathan use in order to try and get under the king's guard? Well, the king used to be a shepherd, so he tells the shepherd king a sheep story. He says that there used to be this uh, man who had one lamb that he always used to take care of. It was valuable to his family. It was so valuable that they treated it like a daughter, you know, inside the house. And there was a rich man next door who had lots and lots of sheep. But when some visitors came, instead of actually uh, preparing a meal from one of his own sheep, he went, oh, I won't cost myself. I'll take that sheep and I will kill that sheep and serve that up for dinner. You know, and so the, the poor man loses the one thing he had uh, to the rich man who had everything already. And David's response is so violent. He says, that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, and you are that man. The story allows him to get under his guard. And this fantastic background uh, provides a, a lesson which people are not only not ready for, but don't want to listen to. They're not predisposed to listen to. Fantasy can do that. I promise this is the last time I'll recommend one of my own books. Um, this is a, a novel I wrote uh, two years ago um, for uh, high school children. It's just about um, a, a boy who uh, wakes up one morning in this fantastical world at a city where he is completely alone. It's just populated by shadows. And he comes to realize that there are only two directions in the whole universe. Um, east and west and the further he moves east the further he moves away from the west and the things that the west represents but the further he moves west the more he moves east and it's really just a long parable uh, an exciting one I hope to say to kids you know there are not just a million directions and every direction is the same the more you move one way the more you move away from something else the more you say that's good the more you say that's bad uh, and in fact, so he meets various people that actually start, he starts to realize that just because somebody says this is a good direction doesn't mean it's actually a good direction in life after all. You know, so uh, again, fantasy backgrounds for lessons that maybe people aren't ready to listen to or don't want to listen to. Not a bad thing. Well, here's the third and final thing that you can use fantasy for. And I think this is actually the best one. So if you were dozing politely in the background, yes, I saw the two of you putting your eyes down. Um, I'll assume that you were praying or something like that. Uh, the, this is the point to wake up because if you take nothing else away from fantasy, this is what it can do for you. You see, Fantasies remind us that there's actually a different reality sitting alongside of our reality. This is a valuable lesson for kids, an incredible lesson for kids. Okay? Okay, the idea, if you've seen in many different films or stories, that another world, sometimes even more significant than our world, can be sitting just next door, so to speak. In Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, you have that idea that there's a whole magical society sitting behind our world, and in one respect, is actually more relevant than the day-to-day -day life that's going on. And people who don't realize that, well, they're just muggles or nomads now, depending if you sort of pick up that in the new film. So the real power of fantastic tales like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is to suggest that reality is different to how kids normally hear it told. You see, 
We often send our children off to school and forget that they're being told a very basic tenet about reality every day that if it can't be measured or if it can't be written down, if it cannot fit inside of a test tube, it doesn't exist. But that's just not true. I mean, our basic experience of life tells us that's not true because it's very hard to put love inside a test tube. It's very hard to measure right and wrong with a ruler. We know that there are things that sit outside the scientific world. So by introducing kids to fantasy fiction, you can broaden their mind to the idea that there is more to life than just can sit inside a scientific equation. That's a really valuable thing to do. You know, J.K. Rowling is not the first person to point out that there's room in the world for things we don't understand. In fact, the, well, one of the earliest quotes is Shakespeare, who says, uh, when he's talking about Horatio, he says, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than fit in your philosophy. Now, just because you haven't experienced yet doesn't mean that it's not there. Fantasies like the Narnia Chronicles remind us there's a spiritual reality to this world that sits maybe just one cupboard door away, maybe just through the cloaks, so to speak, push through the coats, and you'll find there's a whole existence there that you weren't suspicious of. And this is something, as a Christian parent, I particularly want my children to learn, that life is not so three-dimensional, that life is actually much more extensive than that. Jesus says, you know, one of the primary teachings of Jesus is to wake his audience up to the world that there is more than the food they eat and the clothes they wear. Um, the more than the day-to-day -day anxieties, that one day it's all going to come to a screaming end. In fact, Jesus talks about the next world as if somehow it was more real than this world, as if this was a dream, and when we wake up, we'll really see the world the way it is. You know, and so that's an interesting thing I want my kids to pick up on. Well, we live in this age of scientific revolutionism, uh, and if it sounds ironic to you, it kind of is, I would like my kids to be having more to do with fantasy um, than reality sometimes. I think they get a lot of reality in school, and I think it's kind of strange to talk about fantasy as if it wasn't part of reality. And I hope I've demonstrated there are lots of different things that you can pick up along the way about reality by giving your kids a chance to have a look at fantasy. Fantasy reminds them of our limitations. It reminds them that we don't know everything, uh, and that, in fact, everything could change if we discovered something just behind the wind or if there was a whole other existence waiting for us in the room of requirement. And I can tell you from a Christian point of view, children who can bend their minds around the idea of platform nine and three quarters have no trouble imagining that God came down to earth in the form of a baby. You know, or in fact that one day the world is going to center itself around a throne where all the important decisions will be made. Yet there are more things in heaven and earth ratio than are dreamed of in your philosophy. And I think children who can stretch to that are better off to deal with life and the moral lessons they'll have to put in place and ultimately the spiritual lessons than those who just, well, read the sporting guide or, or look at the news. So remember, fantasy helps your kids think through their real problems. Um, it teaches them lessons that they're not going to find just yet in real life. Uh, and it also reminds them that there might be a real world, even more real than the one they're in, just outside the door. And who knows, you know, fantasy might be good for adults as well. Well, listen, thanks very much for your time this morning. I've gone a couple of minutes over, but I, if you want to ask any questions, uh, I am more than happy to answer them. Thank you, Mike. I'll run around with the mic as well. Oh, oh you see that? 
the minute I see hands, I always go, oh, no, I didn't explain something well. Okay, but now let me do my best. Yeah, if you can speak into the mic. Because that'll morning. probably We're recording help everybody the else. Save me repeating it too. So I have a daughter who's on her third go through the whole Harry Potter series. Yes. Absolutely obsessed. Loves it. Yeah. And I really agree with a lot of what you're saying. What I'm wondering is... Um, how much input do our kids need from us in terms of debriefing the very things that you were talking about in terms of what fantasy offers us yep. um, by way of you know understanding those things? Is it something that they naturally pick up as they read through? Oh, or no, do no, they no. need extra yeah, I think they assistance do need extra. doing that? Yeah. Look, I'm not... Um, I'm, I'll probably get myself in all sorts of trouble with my next statement, but I am not of the, the sort of the parental persuasion that thinks that, that children come into the world and you've just got to give them space to discover who they are. Um, they come in knowing nothing, you know, and we are teaching them. You know, that's our role primarily as parents. That's what I see. And so I really value your point because I think it's important for us to provide context. So here's the hard work. Um, Look at your husband or your wife or your grandparents and see which one is likely to be able to read that book with them. You know, take one for the team, okay? Who's going to go see the film, okay, with the kids? Who's going to talk about it afterwards? And practice asking the question, what do you think that's about? Now, I'm in the same boat as you guys. Even though I do it professionally, um, I have three young boys, 12, 10, and 7. Uh, and we go and see a film. And I know there are lots of different messages in that film. Some they'll pick up on and some will just go over their head and that's okay. But in the car, I know I've really only got about the five minutes that they've just got out of the cinema and we're in the car and maybe before they shift topic on you and they're on to something else. And in that five minutes, I usually ask, depending on the age, a question like this. If they're really, really young, I used to ask, who is your favourite character? so that I could actually understand what was impacting on them. And then maybe we could talk a bit about that, or I'd understand that. As they got older, I would ask them, oh, what do you think stood out most in the film? That's a little more cerebral. What, what is sticking with them? And now, and I can ask a six-year-old this, and I get this answer, what was that about? Because that's asking them to actually step outside the story and say, you know, what was that story all about? And I get answers back from my kids like, it's surprising ones, like, um, I think it's about um, no matter what happens, if you say you're going to be somebody's friend, you've got to stick to that. You know, and, and you go, oh, great, that's something I can celebrate and I can pick up. Um, but then sometimes I hear things like, um, you know, it really does depend on you to work out what's right and wrong. And I go, okay, well, that's something I've got to address now because I think actually my personal approach to life is there is a, a right and wrong quite separate of my kids, you know, and they've got to learn that. Okay, so, you know, yes, context is important, and I would never abandon my children to Hollywood, you know, or anything like that. Rather, it's a journey we do together. So you don't have to be afraid of it. You do have to be involved, though. There's a gentleman down here who had a question. Uh, by the way, if any of these questions don't get deep enough answers, feel free to chat to me afterwards. So yeah, Mark, I'm just interested to talk about context in that if you teach your children um, about fantasy when it comes to J.K. Rowling or, or their, their view of the world and their morals about the world, and you're trying to teach your children um, stories about Jesus who talked in parables, which are ah. sort of fantasies, how do you then map that across to... Because they could then think, oh, well, that's a fantasy, but it's a whole different um, it's true. spectre. Yeah. It's true. Now, uh, how many people do story time at home here? 
Now, story time, yeah, there's a few people who do story time. I, I want to thoroughly encourage you with story time. And if you're a grandparent, this is one of your great joys, okay? You can actually sit down and, and do a book. And, and your parent, the kids, you know, your kids, will thank you because sometimes you're so stressed as a parent to get things done, story time can be a bit hard. Um, I always put story time and, and Bible story time separate. You know, so the kids kind of understand that there's a difference. Sometimes we might do them associated with each other, like we're going to do story time, but then we say, now we're going to look at the Bible, and I make a difference in them. I always talk about fantasy as story, but I talk about uh, the Bible as reality, okay, as history. Um, it's something you have to practice, and sometimes the kids do cross the lines. They go, oh, this is a story like um, Noah and the Ark. And I go, no, 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 Noah and the Ark is history, and this is story. So you do have to correct... And that's why, I think that's why you're here, isn't it? Because you actually want your children to learn. You're participating as parents. That's why I love talking at Summerfests because straight away I know I've got an audience that cares. They've brought kids and grandkids to things. They want them to have a good time. They want them to grow and to learn. And now you're sitting here with your own time trying to learn and grow too. So you think, how can I be a better parent or a better grandparent? So it's always about participating. And yes, I do feel you need to make the distinction. But, and the easiest way to do it is to talk in terms of when this happened. This actually happened as opposed to this is just an idea or a story. Uh, interestingly, though, I'll give you a little degree of encouragement. Uh, it's around the age of three that psychologists have found that children distinguish quite strongly after that between what is real and what is not real. So if you do get mix-up statements, they're usually prior to three. Kids are pretty cluey about distinguishing between a story and when you're talking about something as reality. Yeah. Look, I think we've got time for one, yeah, one more. question. Yep. Lee, I happen to know Lee, and she's, we go way back. Um, no, no, sorry, we don't go way back because that would make us look very old, doesn't it? We go just a small degree back. Lee. A simple question. Should I be scared of a movie because it's rated M? Yes. There are very good reasons to be, to be scared according to the rating system because the rating system is a law of averages uh, and, so, and we only really have um, three, sorry, four distinctions to place on film. G, PG, M, MA15+. Look, honestly, I don't even watch R-rated films so, and I do it for a living and I know what's in them so I just go nowhere near them. Uh, look, pay attention not just to the letter though, Pay attention to what it was given the letter for. Okay, so um, uh, you'll find that most Star Wars films are rated M, not PG. But they're rated M not because of the reason that some films get an M, as in language or sexual content or allusions to drug taking, but because of fantasy violence. So it's all mashed in together. So the best thing you can do is actually to Google um, Australian ratings. So it's all you really need, film ratings. It'll take you to the Australian government film rating site and it will give you the reasons why it got the M. Or why, and that's a very helpful thing to do. Don't go in unarmed. And if I could do one last thing and say, look, I do a weekly radio show with a great fellow called Ben McKechn, who uh, is the former editor of Empire Magazine and edits Christian magazines and things like that. Uh, and he and I talk every week about uh, what is coming out at the cinemas. It's starting up again on January 29th. It's on Hope 103.2, Sunday nights at 8pm. And we have a segment called What Your Kids Are Watching every week. You know, so you can see the sort of films, and we pay particular attention to parents there. So it's a good way to find out the detail behind things. Thanks very much, James. No, thank you, Mark. And just before you go, um, where can guys go to get some more information about both the, maybe the rating system oh, for movies sure. or information about your books? Look, a, a good start about, okay, 
two websites. Uh, I'll leave some business cards over here. Um, the first one is Buy Mark's Books, if you just want to buy my books. It's really easy to remember. BuyMarksBooks.com, uh, and all my books are available there. I've got a few here I just brought, because sometimes people go, oh, can I get that now? And I go, okay, sure. I have no change, but the price is all in and a zero, so it's pretty easy. Um, if you want to get good information about films, not just for kids, but for older teens and moving up and adults, go to thebigpicturewebsite.com thebigpicturewebsite.com. That is actually the website that spins off the radio show uh, and has far more information than we can ever fit inside an hour. So you'll find reviews of almost every film you want to be interested in. How's that? Thank you very much, Mark. Why don't you thank you no one worries, last time. Thanks. Well, guys, we're going to have a break now. Uh, we're going to be